Dear congregation, where do you and I look to for protection? Especially our children and perhaps women are more keenly aware of the fact that we need protection as we go through life. Sometimes we men can be oblivious to that fact, but There are many enemies all around us. And so I ask you, where do you look to for protection against them? Sadly, many are not aware of the spiritual battles that are raging all about us constantly without interruption. And this is not just unbelievers who do this. Believers too often think that spiritual warfare is for certain people at certain times in their life. But my friend, spiritual warfare is something that from the moment of regeneration, every person is inducted into, and it's a warfare that will last until your last breath, dear believer. And it's a war that is more intense than anything our nation has ever been up against. And while we recall, especially on today, 21 years ago, that our nation was attacked in such a horrific way, the spiritual warfare of which we're speaking today is unlike any war our nation has ever seen. For our arch enemy, Satan, is more devoted to the ruin of every man than any dictator, any terrorist ever could be. He's more cunning, more sleepless, more deadly than we can imagine. And do not think that you, whoever you are, or your congregation, is immune, just simply the way it is, against his attacks. And so where will you and I find the protection that we need? One thing we all need to know and learn from can be found in the words of our text, which is in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. Though we'll be looking at the text, the context as well, we'll focus on verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Looking to the Lord, our theme is, above all, the shield of faith. We'll see, first of all, a fierce threat. Secondly, a rich provision. Thirdly, an urgent call. And lastly, a blessed prospect. Above all, the shield of faith. A fierce threat, a rich provision an urgent call, and a blessed prospect. Well, the one writing to us in Ephesians is a prisoner. He is the prisoner of Jesus Christ, most likely imprisoned here at Rome. And he's writing not only to Ephesus, but to the church of all times and places. And for a prisoner, the tone of this letter is remarkably Triumphant. 
For Paul, by the Spirit, sees God's triune salvation as the ground and the fullness of all that a sinner could ever need, lack, or want. And he rejoices in God. The joy of the Lord truly is his strength, even as a prisoner in Rome. He opens up with blessing God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to praise Him. Father, Son, and Spirit for the grand blessings that all are laid up in the heart of a triune God for sinners like Himself. And yet as confident as Paul is about the victory, he never loses sight of the warfare. And in fact, the Spirit ends this letter through the pen of Paul by drawing attention to this conflict which has begun in the Garden of Eden and has played itself out every day of human history. Children, you remember that back in the Garden of Eden, God had spoken to Satan. I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And this has been so since that very moment. There's been a warfare <coughs> between God and Satan, between the church of all times and places and the seed of Satan. But young people, Satan's wiles or tactics don't stop. He has a great arsenal ready to unleash on any of his enemies. And one of the hard things about Satan is he's an invisible enemy. And Paul draws attention to that in verse 10 and 11 where he says in 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against things that we can see. Enemies in front of us, visible to our eyes. No, we wrestle against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And what Paul is referring here to is the whole demonic realm. These principalities, powers, and rulers, these are all different names that are given to the various dominions that Satan's hosts and armies are under and organized according. In other words, Paul is saying here, there is a whole world of wickedness under the domain of Satan. It is powerful. It is tyrannical. And this domain of wickedness has strategies or tactics that have been developed and sharpened over thousands of years. These are the wiles of the devil. That's the word that verse 11 uses. And, and actually, you know the Greek word, whether you know Greek or not, the word is the method of the devil. That's literally what it says. The method of the devil. That we might stand against the method of the devil, the tactics of the devil. 
When we make all these things personal, congregation, it is quite alarming. Satan has been watching me all the years of my life. He knows the chinks in my armor. He knows how to get under my skin. He knows how to vary his warfare in such a way that sometimes he'll come at me head on, but then he'll come from the rear. And sometimes he'll whisper into my mind and into my heart, especially when I'm down, when I'm weary, when I'm stressed. He faces me with temptation over here, with lies over there, with an attack on my identity uh, now. And sometimes he'll raise up even fellow believers uh, against one another. He's a lot of tactics that he uses, all with one aim in mind, and that is to defeat you, dear believer. I wonder if you sense your weakness. It's not necessary, it's, it's not wrong at all to sense your weakness. In fact, against such an enemy and in such a warfare, to know your weakness is a good thing. On occasion, in the scriptures, we read about people who didn't sense their weakness, who thought they were up to the, the, the task. Though all should forsake thee, Peter said, yet will not I. But the Lord had to remind Peter, Peter, or Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you like wheat. Satan is after you, Simon, to grind you down to powder and to find nothing at all but chaff that he can throw into the wind and be done with you forever. Many of the Lord's people throughout history and also still today, they know their weakness. And they need to be told, and they are told in the Scriptures, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Joshua, who was to be the successor of Moses, was told, be strong and very courageous. Or Zerubbabel. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord. And so to feel our weakness is, is not bad. In fact, it's good. But with that sense of weakness, we need to run. As we see now, secondly, in our second point, to the rich provision that lies in God. Please look with me in Ephesians 6, and especially here starting at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The first thing I want us to see about this armory is that it is the armory not of man, but of God. Take the whole armor of God. In other words, don't go in your own strength. Don't imagine that you have to come up with strategies and tactics and armor yourself of your own making. No. When we compare Scripture with Scripture, we learn something, and that is the Old Testament speaks in a number of places, such as Isaiah 59, verse 17, and Jeremiah 50, verse 25, about how God Himself wears armor. It's remarkable. But in those two passages, you read, for example, that He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. In other words, the Lord himself hath clothed himself with armor on behalf of his people in order to work salvation and victory for them. And of course, he has done this ultimately and gloriously in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, and who walked on this earth in our nature, the Son of God in our nature. And he did battle against sin and Satan. And in his act of obedience and passive obedience, he prevailed. He destroyed him that had the power of death, even the devil, and set free the captives of Satan, who were all their life long held in bondage at his behest. And so this armory congregation that the Lord sets forth before us is the Lord's own armor. We could, we could say that this armor has been forged for sinners by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. That when the Lord was purchasing a full salvation for his people there in his dying on the cross, he, along with everything else that they need, righteousness, peace, life, inheritance, strength, everything that they need, he forged it for them. He accomplished it in the full salvation that he worked out on Calvary. And that one sacrifice for sin forever. And he was crucified in weakness. Imagine this. There's no moment in which the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to be weaker than when he hung there between heaven and earth on the cross of Calvary under the curse to the whole world and also to Satan. It appeared that the Son of God was, was greatly weakened cast out by both earth and, and heaven itself. And yet in his moment of greatest weakness, so it appeared. He wrought a full salvation. Isn't it true what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1? The weakness of God is stronger than the might of man. So there in his suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ wrought a full salvation, including 
an armor for his people, which they are called to dress themselves in and with. Take on the whole armor of God. Dress yourself in that. Leave no part aside. Be sure that from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you're dressed in the armor of God. I don't know how it is with you children, but sometimes when you, you um, play, play war or battle, maybe with your friends or your brothers and sisters around the house, and you grab sticks, and they're your sword, and maybe um, you make yourself a, a shield. Sometimes you have to kind of divide the armory so that certain people have a sword and certain people have shields and things like that. Well, I ask you, would you rather have a sword or would you rather have a shield? That's a bit of a trick question, right? Because with a sword, you can do a lot. But what happens if someone comes after you? What if someone shoots an arrow at you? What if someone throws a spear and you can't get out of the way? You need a shield, don't you? And, and really... In the gospel, there's no reason to not have any of these. You need all of them. It is folly not to have the whole armor of God. And when we look at the seven elements of the armor of God, and there are seven, starting with the loins, uh, the, the one that might be a bit curious for you is if you go through the items, you'll see six of them, but the seventh is really in verse 18 where it says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And that's really the posture that a soldier needs to have. What good is a soldier if he's decked out with the full armor, every piece of armor, but he's not watching. Obviously, he needs to be watchful. It's one of the most important things for a soldier is to be in a posture of watchfulness. And that is the climactic. That's the seventh thing that is mentioned here. But if, we, if you take all these seven things, do you know what the middle one is of these seven? It's the shield of faith. And of that shield of faith, Paul says something interesting, and that's why I included it in our theme. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. He doesn't say that same thing about any of these other pieces or any of these other elements. It's almost as if Paul says here, I think some of you are going to forget this shield of faith. You'll be so busy with the helmet. You'll, you'll have your, your shoes girt, your, your, your loins girt, and you'll have your shoes on your feet, but you'll forget about the shield of faith because you're not mindful of the fact that no matter what armor you have, if you don't have this shield of faith, you're vulnerable. You're extremely vulnerable. Satan has many devices. And he's coming at you in many different ways. Above all, taking the shield of faith. 
An interesting thing about this word shield is it's actually the same word for a door. That might strike you as, as strange. There's a couple of different terms for shields in the Bible, including in the New Testament, but this is the word for shield that is literally a door, thura. And what this means is that the shield that the, that the apostle is speaking about is a large shield, like that of a door. Uh, the door over here is, is very large. It can hide anyone here. It's that tall. It's that big. And the shield that we need is something that needs to cover every part of us. Take the shield of faith. And Roman soldiers, they would often have, there were two different shields. There would be the smaller shield that they'd sometimes use that was kind of a round circle. Maybe you've seen drawings of it. But they did often have this large, whole-bodied shield that they would use as a defensive weapon in, in war. And in fact, when they were in their platoons, they would stand next to each other and they would hold these shields and they would hold them in such a way that not only was where they protected themselves in a whole-bodied way, but next to each other, there they would stand. And if you were the opposing army, all you would see is these door-like shields. And it would be a strong wall of defense against the attacks of the enemy. They even called this enclosure of all these different shields, they would call it a tortoise after the, 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 the shield of, of a turtle, which is a protective thing for the turtle. And so these armies would have these large shields that would protect not just them, but as they stood in unison, it would protect the whole of the platoon. And these shields, young people, they were often made with um, hide attached to them. They were made from wood or sometimes from other protective uh, elements, metal. But they, they would have a hide that was put on top of this. And why would they do this? Because they would make that wet either in water or some other fluid so that when the enemy would shoot fiery darts, which were darts that they would put in flame, they would shoot these fiery darts. But as soon as they would hit the shield, the wet hide that covered it would quench these, these darts and keep, uh, keep the opponents from being set on fire, they keep, keep the, the platoon from being set on fire. And so Paul, as he's listing these seven things and he comes to the middle one, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Whatever you do, don't forget the shield of faith. It is so important. It is, in a certain sense, the first barrier of attack against the enemy. And so I wonder, dear congregation, do you have, do you know, do you have this shield of faith? Do you know your weakness against your enemy? Do you know his darts? Are you prepared against them? These things he casts at you, throws at you, shoots at you. These darts that have a 
dual function. They pierce because they're sharp and they come with velocity at you. But they're flame as well. And so even if they don't puncture you, they don't reach you to puncture you, they're, they're a flame and they can, they can maybe catch your shoes or some part of your garments and there you are on fire. Satan often works whispering thoughts into our minds. Proud thoughts. Evil thoughts. Despairing thoughts. Unbelieving thoughts. Bitter thoughts. Hatred against people around us. And all these things are fiery darts. They aim to puncture, and they aim to set flame. Has it ever happened that a dart of Satan went into your mind, and your mind was all inflamed with lust, with pride, bitterness, hatred, envy? Satan has many darts at his disposal, and he shoots them, and he knows which ones especially work well with you. But congregation, let me just emphasize one more time before we move on to our next point that all this, including the shield of faith, is the armor of Calvary. It's the armor not for the righteous, but for the sinner. And if you are here today, no matter who you are, you need this armor which God in Jesus Christ has forged on Calvary for sinners like you. Oh, how you need it. You can't do without it. There's not a person here who can do without this armor. The shields of your own making, they will not do. None of the armor that you construct yourself will do against the wiles of the devil. You need Calvary's armor. You need an armor that's been bought with a price, that is blood-bought by Jesus Christ, crucified in weakness, yet lives in the power of God. Your flesh is no match to Calvary's armor. You are perfect weakness in yourself. Before the battle's begun, in and of yourself, you've lost it already. We cannot stand but a moment against sin and Satan and the world. We need this armor. I wonder, do you have it? Do you have it by faith, by grace in your life? Have you gone as a beggar, defeated by Satan and by sin and by the world? Have you gone to Calvary and said, Lord, is there armor for a sinner like me? I've done everything wrong. I fought in my own strength. I've sought to master sin, my thoughts and my actions and my words, but it's been a failure. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, fight for me. And this congregation brings us to our third point, and that is an urgent call. Because as we have seen, Paul says to the Ephesians and to the whole church, he says, be strong in the Lord. And he says there, take the whole armor of God. Wherefore, take unto you, verse 13, 
And then verse 16, he underlines it with the shield. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Sometimes people say, well, I, I can't just take the gospel, can I? I? I can't just presume to take the gospel. My friend, let me clear something up for you. To take what is freely offered to sinners in the gospel is not presumption. Not at all. In fact, that's faith. That's what God calls for. That's what God commands. That's what God gives ultimately. And here, it is His command. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Well, how is this? Well, it's like this. When your eyes are opened to your need, to your danger, to the defeat that you are daily suffering, the hand of your own flesh, which is in league with and aligned with Satan, there you are, defeated, <laughs> realizing that nothing at all will do besides the Lord Himself. You come to Him. You fall on Him. You come based on His Word and His invitation and His arms stretched out to sinners, embattled sinners. And He says, come and find in me everything that you need for your soul. Yes, indeed, in your relationship to God, pardon for sin and peace that endures, but also in relationship to sin, in relationship to Satan and the world, in the fight that you are commanded. All of us are commanded to fight the good fight of faith, to come not leaning on your own armor or anything of man, but to go and seek it all with Him. Your relationship with one another as well. To seek to bring others under the protection of God and of His armor. As we just reflected on that this, this door-like shield, you need this as a congregation. The elders, the deacons, all should stand shoulder to shoulder against the attacks of the enemy also upon your congregation. And that there would be this tortoise-like effect against the wiles of Satan who is desiring that the cause of Christ in this place would, would suffer damage and even be decimated for the good of others, the good of our families, the good of the children here. We would be armed with the whole armor of God. Perhaps you wonder, what is this shield of faith? I've mentioned this word, but I haven't really explained it. Sometimes people, and I believe this is wrong, but sometimes people act as if faith itself is a shield. As if your faith, dear believer, is a shield against Satan. Well, as we always should do, we should compare Scripture with Scripture. And when we do that, we find that believers have a shield that is far better than their own faith. Their faith is not their shield, but the Lord Himself is their shield. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 5, where it says, The Lord is a shield 
to them that put their trust in him. The Lord is a shield to them that put their trust in him. And there are other passages that say the same thing. We sing. Be thou my helper in the strife. Be my shield and strong defender. The Lord is that. One student in the Bible says it like this. He says, my faith is nothing but what it puts in front of me. And it is a God. And it is God who is truly my shield. My faith is only called a shield because it brings me behind the protection of the Almighty's buckler. And when I am behind Him, I can laugh at the fiery darts because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And so, congregation, don't look to your own faith as if your faith somehow is going to protect you and shield you from the fiery darts of the devil. Indeed, you must have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You need faith. You, you are nothing. Without faith, besides a sinner, lost, undone, perishing. You need faith. Everyone needs faith here. But it's not your faith that is your shield. But it is as you come with all the emptiness of your life and all the emptiness of your soul and in the need of your sin-sick soul, you embrace the promises of God and Christ in the promises. And God in Christ, He makes Himself your shield. And he vows to protect you, to encircle you. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forevermore. More are they that are about us than they that are with them. Because the Lord is the shield of his people. My friends, the good news of the gospel is that he can be your shield by grace no matter how great a sinner you are tonight. He's not the shield of the righteous. He's not the shield of those who have attained something in their life. No. The gospel of Calvary is that Christ came into the world reconciling sinners unto himself. Weak, vulnerable, rebel sinners. All of us, sinners. He's a shield for you, sinner. If you but come to him, you lay down your own weapons, you throw them away, you cast them from you. The problem with some here tonight is you've been fighting this war entirely your own way. You think you can conquer lust or pride or unbelief your own way. Oh, my friend, give it up. You will perish if you don't give up fighting your way. You need the whole armor of God and it's for sinners in the gospel. Needy ones, come without money and without price. Come with your wrecked life. Come having fought the wrong way, on the wrong side. 
Come as a rebel and give up your armor and trade it in for what the Lord Jesus Christ can afford you and give you all out of free grace, a blood-bought armory forged on Calvary. You can read in various passages such as 1 Chronicles 13 how when David was made king, first in Hebron and later on in Jerusalem, then the many who had fought against him, who had stayed with Saul, even though the Lord had anointed David, that finally when David was made king, there they came. They came out of all the corners of Israel and they came to David and they fell before David and they said, David, thine we are. We belong to thee. But all of them were haters of David. They had been enemies of David. They had fought against David. They had fought on Saul's side. They had been rebels against David. But David, he had the heart of God. He was a man after God's heart. He received them. And they came under him. And instead of fighting for Saul and against David, they fought under David and on the side of David. Thine we are, O David. Oh, that you, my unconverted friend, today would switch sides instead of fighting on Satan's side. You'd come under Christ, come under God, and say, Lord, I've spent my life fighting against thee, against the truth, against free grace, against thy free salvation. I wanted it my way, but Lord, forgive me, pardon me. Lord, in my weakness, be my strength. Outfit me. Help me to fight against sin. Help me to stand in evil days. My friend, in Calvary, even this night, there is armor full and free. There's an abundance of it. None here need to depart and to say, no, there was none for me. It was all used up. Others were benefited, but I could not be. Oh, my friend, that's folly. That's a dart right there. That's a dart of Satan. To think it's not for you. It can't be for you. Oh, my friend, you need the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith where you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil or the wicked one. As we hope to see now in our fourth and last point, and that is the blessed prospect. What an amazing thing, congregation. Paul is in prison, as we saw at the beginning. Right next to him, probably, He sees a Roman soldier. He sees all his weaponry. He sees the army he carries. He has none of that armor. He has no Roman shield. He has no Roman sword. He has no Roman helmet. According to the flesh, you'd think that Paul would despair. But he doesn't. Notice how he says it. Verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then verse 16, the words of our text, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able 
to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Do you hear it? He says twice, ye may be able. Ye shall be able. God's people, you doubt your ability. And well, you should. But don't doubt the word of God, including when he says here, ye shall be able. Because this is not your natural ability. No, not at all. That, that will fail. Naturally speaking, you'll be unable to stand. But here's how it is. With all your inability, you come to this rock of ages, cleft for sinners, and an amazing exchange happens where you lose all your inability and he gives you his ability. His strength is made perfect in my weakness so that I might boast even in infirmities. I may take pleasure, Paul says, in my weakness because when I am weak, then am I strong. That's the mystery of Calvary armor, of blood-bought armor. Oh, blessed exchange. Paul says elsewhere, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession. Tempted, for tempted sinners. And he says in another place, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. You see, congregation, this ability of my text is not your ability, your natural ability is the ability of Christ, which poor sinners can have by faith. They come with all their lack and want and need. And find in him an endless ability for sinners. He is able. But more than, more than just that, it says here, you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We saw what some of those darts are. Those thoughts those desires, those appetites, those jealousies, those bitter feelings one towards another. How about anxieties and fears that come in and set you all ablaze, all in a panic? I'm told that Roman soldiers, they would love to throw these or shoot these fiery darts to houses which, which with, in, in some cases they had thatched roofs and so they'd throw one of these fiery darts and the whole house would be in a blaze. Does it ever happen to you that this one anxious thought goes to the thatched roof of your mind and life? And in an instant, you're all in a blaze, all in a panic. Your whole life combusts before you. Fiery darts. Satan knows how to aim those. 
above all, taking the shield of faith. Remember your God. Remember how He's the shield of His people. Remember how He has more at stake in you and your salvation than you yourself have. Sure, if it were up to you, you would lose your whole salvation, but He would lose more. He would lose His name. He would lose His honor, His glory. He is able, and He makes you able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And notice this, to quench. In a way, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had said these fiery darts will bounce off of you. But no, it says quench, quench. The fire will go out. The power of the temptation and the pain associated with it will disappear when the shield of faith, which is the Lord Himself, as the soul apprehends him, leans on him, looks to him, holds him before him, the fire goes out. You shall be able. You shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All. Thirdly and lastly, having done all, you shall be able to stand in the evil day. You know, sometimes when we're young Christians, we imagine that we'll climb the Everest of this world, we'll take down armies of demons, all, of course, in the strength of the Lord, and it is good to dream. And a youthful spirit that wishes to take the kingdom by violence is a wonderful thing. But I think I understand a little bit more why it says here, you shall be able to stand in the evil day. Sometimes people say, well, what, what, what honor, what glory is there in, in merely standing? Well, congregation in, in military lingo is like this, to stay standing means you're in the battle. You're still in the battle. You haven't fallen yet. You haven't fallen with with the end result that you're out. You're out of the battle. And Paul here in prison, despite all the attacks on his mind, on his heart, on his emotions, on his life, on his body, he's still standing. You shall be able to stand. But someone says here, well, nice for Paul, but I've fallen. I haven't stayed standing. I know, my friend, I'm the same way. You and me together. But you know where God's grace is at work. When we fall, we shall arise. Micah 7. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, and fall I do, I shall arise. The Lord shall be a light unto me. The Lord shall be my shield. The Lord will not suffer my foot ultimately to be moved. He that keepeth Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. 
He that keeps his people will keep them to the end. And so I ask you as we close tonight, how, dear believer, goes the battle? Where's your shield? Have you taken your shield? Do you have the shield? Is the Lord your shield? Are you hiding behind him? Are you behind his protection? I started my sermon by speaking that sometimes children or our wives, they, they, they know better what it is to need protection and to go to, for protection. I'm sure some of the fathers here know it when, when there is some intimidating man or so on the street or whatever it is who comes towards you and they become afraid. What do they do? They press up against the legs of their father. They hide behind their father. They sense their need of protection. They realize they can't be their own protection. And so they hide where they know there is strength. Well, my friends, shouldn't we do that to our God? To hide behind him, behind those everlasting arms and legs, that shield of God for Christ's sake. It's not just dipped in water or some other fluid, but it's dipped in blood. And that's what quenches most of all these fiery darts of the wicked one. Oh, my friend, hide behind that shield and you're safe. Satan can't reach you. Test it, prove it. The Lord is his people's shield. But my unconverted friend, my last words are for you. You're here tonight and you're fighting on the wrong side. You're still a pawn in Satan's hand. You're in a certain sense a prisoner of war in Satan's camp. And Satan loves it so because he wishes. He wishes for this, my friend. He wishes to drag you down to the place of torment where he is headed and he knows it so very well. But he wants you to be there. My friend, don't be blind tonight to his devices. Don't wrap his chains tighter around your hands and your feet. Don't let him pluck out your eyes and blind you with his machinations and take you down to torment with him. Rather, tonight, cry to Christ. Cry to God. Say, God, save me. I've done it all wrong. I've sinned it all away. But is there hope for a sinner like myself? And forth from Calvary, there is news for you, my friend. I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. And Christ is everything you need for time and for eternity. Oh, my friend, hide. Hide tonight at Calvary. Under the cross. Come under the blood itself and you'll be safe saved to sin no more and tell the world congregation tell your family tell your friends there's safety there's protection in one place alone in the gospel in Christ in God and it's for sinners to the glory of God amen
gracious, good doing, and almighty Lord God, be a shield to sinners tonight, to thy people who have known that shielding power of Jehovah in their life. And yet so often, Lord, we come from behind that shield, we forget the shield, we imagine that our own Christianity can be our shield, or our own faith is strong enough to to be that shield, without realizing that thou art the only shield, the defense, the fortress, the high tower against the enemy. Lord, may thy people hide afresh in thee, behind the blood, the blood of sprinkling, where we're safe. May we find that those fiery darts are quenched by the blood of Christ, by this shield of faith, that Satan can only reach so far, but he cannot have me. The Lord makes it so that I am able to stand. But, O Lord, for those who have no refuge, for their poor, needy, dying, perishing soul tonight, oh, to be under the preaching of the gospel and yet to go lost, keep, we pray thee, any and all from an unprepared death. Grant that today there would be the breaking of the chains of Satan and the clothing with that blood-bought righteousness in Jesus Christ, and that thou hast proved thyself to be an all-sufficient Savior for sinners the world over. Dismiss us under thy hands of blessing. blessing. Go with us into the unknown future. Guard us and keep us, O Lord, we pray. Be a wall of protection round about this flock, round about this congregation. May each stand shoulder to shoulder and let No fiery darts of disunity or lovelessness of pride come in between this flock, but wilt thou reign supreme also here. And all to thy praise and all to thy glory alone, we ask this in the Redeemer's name and for his sake. Amen.